Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. The title of my message today is Death Couldn't Hold Him. And um, look, there it is right there for us to all see. I want to just meander around with this. It's... Um, I have a passion that we could all learn to um, be filled with all the things that God intended us to as humans. Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be horrible to get to heaven and realize every place that we struggled he had already provided an answer? Do you, don't you hate to struggle? Who who loves to struggle? Faked y'all out. All the people struggling. Raise their hands. Um, I I want to propose to you today that God has, of course, a different viewpoint. I just got so many things not right right now. Um, can I have a couple Kleenexes right there? You know, there's just some things I just can't not do. Thank you so much. No, it's okay. One second, because if this podium rocks all day, I'll, I won't be happy. How am I? Hang on, I'm going to get it. Okay, that's better. Aren't you, don't you feel better about it? Yes. <clears throat> I wanted to start today and let's turn to Genesis 1. We're going to preach all the way through Revelation today. <laughs> I actually want to read you... Um, Brian Simmons, the author of The Passion Translation, if you've never read The Passion Tra Translation, then I propose that it will change your life forever. Yeah. How many feel the same way that they... Yes. Isn't it weird that the things that God hands out, people criticize? Yes. Are you ready for criticism? God's handing out some anointings in this season. God is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. And I feel like today I'm going to give you a message that will propel us into the next season. And I like to just live my life out loud. And I want to establish some truths about this next season for us. Hopefully today I'll get through that, right? But in the, in Gen in the book of Genesis, Brian Simmons wrote um, some preliminary statements about Genesis that I wanted to start with today. And he said that God at the very beginning as a powerful, wise, and he was full of glory. That's how we see God 
in Genesis. So just for with your mind's eye for a minute, as much as our imaginations, you know, the most um, wonderful thing that humans get to experience on earth is God remaking their imagination. You came into the world with this really pure imagination. And throughout our lifetimes, because of, I believe, the enemy's target on your life, if you've had a lot of harm in your life, it, it really does, eventually, as you get healing, you'll see that the target was directly in correlation with your calling. And so Genesis is the beginning of establishing who God really is. And it will be really, really important. Let's just pray for a second. So Holy Spirit, I just break off any assignments today from the enemy of distraction and harm and conflict and even offense and weariness. And I just speak to the shalom, the peace that passes all understanding to come into the room. I speak to our minds to not be distracted, to hear the word today in Jesus' name. And so... As we begin to unfold this book, this love story, the Genesis reveals to us who God is. And if we don't establish in our life the truth about who God really is, then a lot of times we spend our lives trying to get false things about God disproven. It's a really uh, insignificant activity of humanity. And so what I like to do is I like to just go back to establish God as the maker of all things, and He gets the say. That's just a good starting point for us all. And everything comes underneath my ability to be aware of this. And so in this commentary, he says that we see God at the very beginning as a powerful, purposeful, wise, and full of glory, speaking the word say word, of creation from his eternal dwelling place of light. He created everything from nothing. And so he references Hebrews 11. So let's turn there to start our journey, shall we? Beautiful. In Hebrews 11, this is what it says. It says, now faith brings, verse 1, now faith brings our hopes into reality. Check yourself for a second. Have you felt hopeless this week? I propose to you today that Jesus' act on the cross was the greatest um, display of faith that the world has ever seen. You know, when he was hanging on the cross, do you remember what he said? He said, it's finished. You know what it's finished means? His part. Remember in the garden, he was like, if this cup can pass from me, if this decision to go to the cross can pass from me, let it pass from me. But what did he say? But not my will, your will. So he understood. See, the thing about Jesus was he was a man just like you. When we elevate Jesus to be, well, he was just a, he was just God that came down in the flesh. 
Well, no, he left his godness to become a man to display to us what mankind can do on earth with the connection to the Father. He only, his only desire, it wasn't like he didn't have another choice when he says, I only did what I saw the Father do. It wasn't because the Father didn't make another possible way. It's because it was a choice. And every day he sets before us that same choice. I set before you life and death and he gives us a hint. Choose life. So every day, the choice of life and death decisions are set before you all the time. And so since he went to the cross, his act, the greatest act of faith to me is, I'm going to do my part, I'm going to say it's finished, and then God has to do a part. If it wasn't for God doing his part, there would have never been a resurrection and he would have been like every other God. He would have been like the Hindu God. He had been been like Buddha. He had been like, uh, name them all. He would, the difference between Jesus and every other God, no matter what they tell you, is their God's dead. My God's alive. That's the one difference. There's many other differences if we really search it out. But that's the one difference, right? They may have all, where do you think they got all their good thoughts or their good ways to sit and home and all those things? Where did they get all those ways? Where did they get the breath to make them up? But anytime I take the God out of my religious beliefs, I've just served the devil. It doesn't matter if it was good stuff. Anybody been in the new age and come to find Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It wasn't enough. You didn't have no power. It was good thoughts. Where did they get all those good thoughts? From the I propose it's from the word anyway. They just repackaged them to appeal to your soulish nature. And so Jesus established that faith is required to fulfill our destiny. In fact, As faith is exercised, hopelessness leaves. Faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes a foundation needed. It's just the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. I don't know if you just long for a Dr. Pepper, but I long for something different. I long for sons and daughters to be free. I long for sons and daughters to live one life, the same at home, the same at work, the same at school, the same here. I long for sons and daughters to be immersed into the truth and to activate their faith, this thing that God planted with you, the author of your faith, the implanter of your faith, has an opportunity for you to step into faith. It's the thing you're longing for. It doesn't exist yet. Resurrection didn't exist on the cross. Jesus knew the plan. Where did he get the plan? I propose he got the plan in the wilderness. Now, as you know, Jesus, let's turn there. This is okay, right? If I tell you this whole story, right? Mark 1, verse 9, one day Jesus came from Galilee and John immersed him. I like Mark, he just gets right to the point. 
in the water. The moment Jesus rose up from the water, we're going to do baptism this summer, so y'all get excited. John saw the heavenly realm. Who saw it? Who? Saw, who was this? Which John was this? John the baptizer. He's baptizing. That's how we know he's called the John the baptizer. John saw the heavenly realm split open and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And at this very same time, the voice from heaven said, you're my son, my cherished one, and my greatest delight is in you. Immediately, say immediately. Immediately. Turn to your neighbor and say immediately. immediately. That's right away. That's no delay. The Holy Spirit forced him into the wilderness. You know, in the Old Testament, I said this to the encounter room people yesterday, the wilderness was an experience because why? They failed to apprehend the promise. God gave the promise. He did, he, he did everything a God could do. He, del- he invited them out of savory, slavery, 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 I'm on vittery, slavery, he invited them to walk a different way. He parted the waters. He sent them out all rich and happy. And in the wilderness, though, the reason, remember, when they came to the edge of the promised land, they did what? They sent out some putzes to examine the land. They sent out all the scaredy cats, except for a couple. I could preach a whole message on that, the scaredy cats. But And what did they say when they came back? They said things that didn't activate faith. They said things that activated fear. That should prove to us that on the edge of my wilderness, when the promised land is able to be apprehended, when I'm able to walk into the promised land, I better be careful what I say. Because they just entered into 40 years of wilderness. But Jesus gives us the redeeming process of everything. So So in the Old Testament, it was their lack of faith that made them wander around in the wilderness. In the New Testament, it was the compelling of the Spirit for a different reason. I propose both both wildernesses could have been done all kinds of ways. You, you're the same. Do you understand that Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness was enough to launch him into his ministry, into his purpose, into his destiny? Think about it for a minute. What? Let's just glean real quick. I wrote them down for you so you didn't have to look them up. In Matthew 4, it talks about him being in the wilderness. There's three things that happen in the wilderness, three areas that the enemy came to him with words. Let's go over there. Let's just do it real quick. John, Matthew 4. I wasn't going to preach on this, really. I'm just giving you a tester. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to experience the ordeal of testing. Hello. 
That's what the Holy Spirit did. What do you think about the Holy Spirit now? I think the Holy Spirit knows something you don't know. I think the Holy Spirit knows something you don't know. And he fasted for 40 days, and of course he was hungry. Who wouldn't be? We're hungry right now. We haven't even fasted. (laughs) And Satan came to him and he said, how can you possibly be the son of God? So what's the enemy speaking to right there? Because what, what's he targeting? His hunger. It says he's hungry. That's when the enemy comes, when I'm hungry. What's he targeting? I propose he's, his provision. Are you going to provide for you? Because what did he say? You can turn these stones to bread. He, he knew humanity had the capacity to turn rocks into bread. I don't know if you've done that yet, but that's that's how much Satan knew what humanity could do. Satan knew the enemy, the punk, the guy that lost his position in heaven knew what Jesus was capable of, what humanity was capable of, you are capable of. He knows what you're capable of way better than you do. And so he makes you question the lowest level of that. Look what it says. But Jesus said, he quoted the Old Testament. Bread alone is not going to satisfy. So that tells you that the thing that you think you're dying of, you're hungry for, even if you had it. And he gave the answer to all of you. When the enemy comes, how many know that the enemy's come to you in your lifetime and he's trying to convince you that you don't have enough provision? Everybody raise their hand. That means he's real good at his job, but it also means he's an idiot because he just keeps repeating it. The same thing. Say it to yourself I am not the provider. God's the provider. But this is what this is what God's providing. True life is found in every word that constantly goes forth from God's mouth. That's why Jesus said, "I have bread you don't know of." What was he feasting on? He was speaking on his father's words to his son. See, if you don't know that you're a son or daughter of God, it says in, in, Tessa sent me a word. She was going to preach my message, so I didn't let her read it. But um, he's, it says in, in Romans 8 that the entire creation, here, I'll read it from what she sent me. How about that? The entire universe is standing on tiptoes, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. That's why he's pouring out his spirit right now, to unveil you, those who are the glorious sons and daughters. Are you a glorious son and daughter? Then you, you speak son. And so when God speaks to you, then 
It is so much more powerful than what the enemy speaks. The enemy's not going to stop speaking. I don't know if you think you're going to mature yourself out of it. Let me help you. You are never going to be mature enough for the enemy not to quit talking. He will forever in your life target you. But I propose this wilderness that Jesus showed us, this is the answer. Because these are really the three areas that we all do. So that tells us that His Word is the hierarchy of everything that has to do with provision. That way, He tells me the job to get. He te- right? Yes. He tells me how yes. to give and spend my money. Yes. We don't, we're not so resistant then. Yeah. See, when it's on us and we're orphans, yeah. we don't know that the whole fridge is full of pop. Yeah. we got to stuff some in our pockets, yeah. right? Yeah. we got to live by victim land, yeah. right? Yeah. The next thing that he said in Matthew 4 was... He says, he transported Jesus to the Holy City of Jerusalem and perched him at the highest point of the temple. This is where he introduced suicide. It's really rare that I've ever met anyone that hasn't wanted to commit suicide. Why? (laughs) It says it right there. The enemy transports us in our mind to a place. It's one of two things. You know, there's a thing going on right now where people want to harm themselves for attention. That's not anything new. Now it's just on YouTube. It's, it's the same verse. It's the same, very same thing. What's he trying to do? What was going on in the temple? What was supposed to be going on in the temple? Pure worship. It's supposed to be the place where people came to get help. Right? Where people came to learn to worship. See, I propose that the church lost her power because we created a religious spirit instead of true worship. And so then we, then we measured each other by works. And dang it, you just can never do enough. You can never do enough to buy grace. In fact, it's, a lot, it's way harder to receive grace and live as though you've never sinned than it is to work for it. In fact, most people would much rather work for grace because it gives them an activity on earth to do than they would to live by the thing I've been forgiven and I'm going to act like Jesus' sacrifice was enough. And he went on to tell him, hey, if you just throw yourself down. (laughs) The devil quoted scripture. Why did he do it? Because the first time Jesus did. So the devil went, oh, I know how to do that. It's a lot harder when you hear scripture, isn't it? Out of context. It's a lot harder when you hear scripture, isn't it? Have you ever quoted scripture to yourself and you found out later you were just sort of quoting yourself? (laughs) Anyone had that happen and you're like, I felt so. Well, clearly... Can you see it's out of context? Do you really think that this scripture that, where is it from? Psalms 91. Do you really think that God said, throw yourselves down on everything you can find and I'll just raise you up? 
It's out of context. But Jesus demonstrated, I'm going to quote scripture. You said, I can do that. And that's what he does to us. So what's the second thing that he did? He tried, in our humanity, he tried to make us tempt God. So Jesus said a scripture. Don't you just a scripture quote off right here. He said, don't ever put the Lord God to, your, to, test, to the test. Where did he quote that from? He quoted it from the wilderness experience. Did you know that? He quoted it from the wilderness experience that the children of Israel had. That should tell us it's connected. Do I need any more proof? But what was, what was the place where God said that? It was a place where, let's read it. See, I, I can tell you I don't believe me, and so I have to prove it to you. Deuteronomy 6. What was going on in Deuteronomy 6? It says this, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin. That was just happened to be the town's name. Sorry. By stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at this place. There is no water for the people to drink. See, Jesus is quoting, don't do what they did in the wilderness. I mean, I don't even know how much more clear it can be. And this is what they said. Give us some water to drink. Who are they really talking to? They're mad at God. The guy who brought them. I mean, think about all the things. If, if you had a, a, de- a Red Sea part in front of your eyes, would it be enough? See, that's the weird thing about humanity. God does these miraculous Red Sea parting events in our lives, and we need another sign. We need another miracle. In fact, we get mad at God because we're in the wilderness. We start saying, well, I liked it better. Have you, ever, have you said this this week? Well, I liked it better. When I was on some other mountain some other day some other place with you when you weren't like this when you this wasn't happening to me when this wasn't like that when that wasn't like that i liked it better you're just doing this right here you're doing this right here they're standing before god and they're saying where's the water what are you asking where's the where's the beef where's the what All of this is the enemy having what? A say. Who led him to the wilderness? What's the Holy Spirit doing? Why is he testing us? Why do we hate tests so much when it's the very activity of God the Father? The very activity of God preparing you for your ministry is the very thing that you're testing God about. You're mad at Him. You're saying stuff to Him. You're, t- you're telling Him, where's the water? Where's the beef? Where's this? Where's the old relationship? Where's the old thing? Where's the old gig? Where's the old deal I was doing? Listen, everybody's got an old thing. It ain't a thing. Go back to the thing that was your thing. My thing was I was 18. That was when my thing was. Why would I live at 18, at 20? Come on, Cheryl. 25. Why? Because it's not the thing. 
And so in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit leads us there. See, I'm in the wilderness season, so I can talk about this. All the victims wanted to be the be- the worst. I've been in the wilderness the longest. Anybody ever been in a wilderness season? Anybody in one right now? I propose some of y'all don't even know if you are. See, let's don't pull a, well, what have you done for me lately, God? That's testing God. He's done everything for you. He's done everything for you. If you need to go down memory lane, I will help you. And I will show you how good God has been to you. There's not anybody in this room, I can say it with 100% confidence, it's not better off than they were before they came. Back to Matthew 4. The third time. Don't you love the enemy? He takes you real high up. Tippy top at the temple. Did a bunch of scripture quoting just to see if you're going to be mad at God. Who you're going to worship. You can't be mad at God and worship Him. I know it's really hard to believe, but most everybody has to forgive God. Because we got some warped thing in our mind. Someone taught us life shouldn't have been hard. And we blame God. Even though I can, I can take you on a journey in the Bible and show you your life. And there is no possible way you can blame him. There's so many times he said, hey, 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 hey. Without a doubt. Third time he took him up on a very high mountain range, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says... If you'll only kneel, I'll give you something that he did not possess. I propose to you in this moment, Jesus knew he was about to get back this authority. See, the enemy only has authority where I give it to him. And I give it to him by what I say and what I think. What he proposes to me, be hopeless. I give him authority by saying, yep, my life's hopeless. I just gave the enemy authority. These tests are going to happen to every human. They are. What did Jesus say? I like it. Get behind me. Get, get. I think it was just a couple words. Get, Satan. We act like it's really hard. Lynn had this dream last night, and there were these demons in her dream. And, you know, Lynn had a very abusive, yucky childhood where when I met Lenny, she had these terrifying, horrific nightmares about spiders. And she actually thought she was afraid of spiders. But really, she had authority of the demonic. So it took us a while to get there. So last night in her dream, there's all these demons, and she just does this in the dream. Right there. That's what Jesus did. Get. Get gone. Get out. You liar. 
See, if I don't know who God is, if I don't know the God of Genesis, then when I get to the wilderness... Now, see, the beautiful part about the Holy Spirit is that He only invites those into the wilderness that are new creations. See, in, in Genesis, you, were, you became... That's where creation happened. But in Jesus, that's where recreation happened. It made the original creation obsolete. And so he said, get. And he get, on, his, on his last little thing as he was getting out, he quoted him another scripture from the same chapter, Deuteronomy 6. Worship God and kneel before him alone. That's the three tests of the wilderness. You want to get out of the wilderness? Learn these three things. And see, you don't get to pick how God tests you. And if you knew Him, how loving He is. Because what was set before Jesus? So think about it. I told you that little snippet because before Jesus was now a destiny. He was a man just like you. Every human on earth, if they want to do their destiny, they're going to come to a come to Jesus moment. And maybe you need 400 of those. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. I think God shows us the real plan. Come to Jesus, get baptized, come out of the water, get tested, go do the gig. See, most of our gigs from our childhood were just to survive. I don't think survival and anointing sound the same. Why does everybody weep when Sidwell steps one moment into a dance? See, I know her story. See, when she moved here, the way God got her here was he made her think he was going to let her go to college, the university up here. So she's called, I'm going to go to the university. Come on. Come on, you can live with us while you go to the university. And she was going to be in dramas and plays. And then she started going to a little place that did dances. And they said, we want you to be the lead. But there was another little girl that went to church here, who don't go to church here anymore. And I said, see, well, you can't be the lead because you only went there for that little girl. But see, that's why she's anointed. What happened when she made that first move? What happened? Everybody in here could have lost it. Why? It's the anointing. She could have went. <laughs> and everybody would have huddled. What is she trying to demonstrate? What is, what is her desire? She wants people to be able to express to him 
this thing that he put in her. Made Jack Boone get out of... Dust herself off. Made Vinton do a couple moves up here. <laughs> Mr. Double Introvert went, I can do <laughs> But it's powerful. Yes. It's anointing. Yes. I can do those same moves and not be anointed. Yeah. And somebody will say, oh, beautiful. But it doesn't just rip your inside out and make you want to fall at his feet and worship. See, it's the result of anointing is why we're anointed. I don't know if you understand that. See, if I'm just talented, it could move people. But what is the result of anointing? The result of of anointing is that the Holy Spirit has permission to flow through you. Your little box of humanity that you wish you were so perfect. You wish you just did everything right. Wished you wasn't nervous. Came out of the green room. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, I'm nervous. Said, stop. That's all the conversation we have to have. Come on, we're doing it. Shooty's ears are crappy today. I say, come on, we're doing it. Why? We're just doing it. We're doing it because I trust more in his anointing than I do everything being perfect. And see, that's what the wilderness is the opportunity for you to have. You can be in it kicking and screaming. You can re-demonstrate the children of Israel and you will circle for 40 years, I promise. Because the promised land is one step away. But you can't go. You can't go. You can't go if you don't pass the test. You can't go if you don't pass the test. And so think about Jesus. He's passed the test. And he wasn't moved by the lies of the enemy. He wasn't moved by the remanufacturing of the enemy of truth. It's the same test that happened to Adam and Eve and they failed. See, Adam, I mean, Jesus became more than just, he wasn't just a guy that died naked on the cross. He wasn't just a a resurrected being. He actually went through the same stuff that in the Old Testament they failed to be successful at. To demonstrate for us that we can. A man just like me. You need to say that to yourself every day. Jesus was a man just like me. The enemy loves to victimize our lives. Poor you. Man, have you ever heard yourself... Talk like a victim. See, a victim is a heat-seeking missile finding a bad guy. Once they've established a bad guy, they will find them a rescuer. They will retell their story to someone who will say, Oh my gosh. Poor you. And so the wilderness becomes... An existence. Forever living in double-mindedness. Forever living in cursing everything that God's done for me. Forever not being grateful. Forever saying, where's the water? Where's the meat? 
I deserve rights. I deserve. And see, Jesus was like, nope. Not my will. Man, I don't want to do this. They're mad at me. They're coming for me. And dang old Peter, he just cut off a guy's ear. I got to heal that before I go. That's going to happen to you too. Somebody close to you. You're going to pull an idiot move and you're going to have to be, you're going to have to step in. See, to fulfill my destiny, not my will, but his be done, it just looks different. And see, in that moment that he's hanging on the cross, he was fulfilling this scripture in Hebrews. Let's read it one more time, shall we? Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke in the invisible realm, gave birth to all that seen. Back to my Genesis. Creation takes us into the mystery of worship. We have no answers to our curiosity. We can only worship. Man was made by God not simply to analyze God as a scientist, astronomer, or philosopher. First and foremost, man was created to be a worshiper. We will never be able to take the mystery out of creation. For a God who is incomprehensible in His greatness accomplished it. The purpose of creation is to display the glory of God. We are able to see in the created order of our universe the awesome wonder of the maker of the heavens. The universe is God's advertisement. It's the display of His glory. The earth is not Mother Earth. It's God's footstool. And the heaven is the earth, is, the, is His throne. All of creation is for God's pleasure. That's you. Otherwise, He would have just made a circle with a bunch of plants or a bunch of animals. He would have frolicked. You know, dinosaurs were God's dogs. I mean, it's just the way it was. He just needed God-sized animals. <laughs> My little cow, he's just Teresa-sized animal. I don't think I want a dinosaur laying in the bed with me. It says, but it's not the earth or the cosmos. That is God's highest order. It is man and woman made after his image. Creations in the likeness of God. God has created mankind to become the container. Just, just put your hand on your heart and say, I am God's container. 
What greater privilege is that? You're God's create container. God created mankind to become a container for his glory. He longs to have the worship of those who love him freely with all their hearts. Genesis is the foundation upon which all revelation exists. Back to faith becomes the foundation. So see, I propose to you, here's my connecting point for you. That when Jesus is on the cross and he's saying it's finished, he's saying my part's done. As a man, I came, I lived a sinless life. I offered myself as the plan of God. God made a plan. You don't even understand the plan. It doesn't even make any sense. Sin doesn't make sense. Separation from God doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense only to God. But he will reveal to you through the understanding of how creative he is, how he saw the nothing and he made something. And he made the something, which is humanity, to have interaction with, to contain on earth him. And Jesus said, I will go and finish the plan. My part's done. I did what you said. I went through the test. I went through the cross experience, and I'm saying it's finished. It was the greatest act of faith. Because God's spirit, if he did not raise him from the dead, we would not be celebrating him today. He would have just been another man that died on a cross. How come it lives on? It, it lives on not because it's a good story. Because the same reason as she stepped up and the first move touched your heart, it's the same reason. That story means you're redeemed. That story, that choice, that thing that man did, that thing that he said it's finished, it's because it had something to do with you and you know it. And we can deny him and we can reject him and we have choices to do all that. But when we look at what Jesus said, it's finished. When he says, take up your cross, say, I'm done. I'm done living for me. That's what Jesus was saying. I don't know if you understand it today. But he was saying, I'm done living for me. I'm done. And he said, I give you permission, God, to do with this spirit man. Whatever your plan is. Once he died, once the breath of God, the pneuma of God left him, it was on God. It was on the Father. That was the greatest act of faith. It was the foundation for how he lived his life. He was just a man, just like us. It's the foundation for how you can live your life. That choice to leave it to the Father. That choice that the Spirit of the living God hovered over the nothingness of Jesus. And he... He resurrected him. And he, di he displayed his resurrection by moving away the stone. Just think about it. Jesus could have been right then gone to heaven. 
There's, there's stories that says he walked around on the earth for 60 days, hanging out, going through walls, doing stuff. Remember, he, he showed up at the disciples and he was like, remember, it's me. What was his final act on the earth? He breathed. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Only a resurrected man can do that. That's why he's trying to help you die. So you can look at people and you can say, receive the Holy Spirit. There's something in you. When the Spirit of the living God lives in you, it's trying to resurrect other people. That's why Jesus didn't just poof. He went on and demonstrated again what humanity can do filled with the Holy Spirit. I wrote a little something before Lynn comes and does communion. I named it the title of my message today, Death Couldn't Hold Him. Death was no match for Yahweh that day. That day the king died and gave. As his body laid lifeless, the holy hoverer came into the tomb. The very pneuma that spoke to the chaos of nothingness on that first day of time came this day where death seemed to rule. But death met its match this day. Nothing could defeat the power of Yahweh. Throughout the testimony of divinity are volumes of defeated death. And why couldn't death hold him that day of doom? Why? Because the power of the holy hover swooped in. When the great spirit of the living one saw that unfinished business of the father, his one breath is all it took to raise that one man back to life. What seemed hopeless, lifeless, became living, redeeming, restoring, resurrected. When the pneuma of God comes into contact with nothing, the something within rises, rises up to meet with the nature of Yahweh. When Yah meets with man, meets with chaos, meets with deadness, death is eclipsed into living. Way is exhaled from within. Chaos ceases because the force of spirit wind has arrived. Why couldn't death hold him? Because the one who held him holds life. That same one that held the Savior that day holds you today. Why can't dead things remain? Because when the great holy hoverer meets up with deadness, my deadness your deadness must give way to life. Death can't exist 
where life breathes, where the great holy hoverer hovers, life rises. He's the life giver. His breath revives, redeems, restores. What once was dead is no match for the hovering breath of the Spirit. Why can't death hold you? Because life exists in Him. And He's breathing that life into you today. His jaw in hell and His way responds in me. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive to tell this story. I'm alive to live again. Death couldn't hold him that day. Death can't hold me. Death can't hold you. Because this is your resurrection day. Come on, Lenny. I'm just a mess in the best of ways. This morning when I woke up, um, I had just this, just such a heart of great humility and gratitude, you know, that, um, that I felt the, I felt the, um, value on my life that he called me so worthy to lay down his life for me. And, you know, out of that response, it was just this deep gratitude of like, I, I can return what you gave to me and my belief and what you said to be true. And, you know, as I've just been going about my day, I've thought about just the great, um, the amount of authority that we gain whenever we step into our belief with him. And, you know, as, as we take communion, I want to be very, very clear. Whenever we're eating the bread and we're drinking the grape juice, these are not just things that we can just food. This is the very body the resurrected body of the King of Kings, that we get the honor and the blessings to be able to ingest him and take on everything that he has. It now becomes what I have. And out of that, I get to live for him. Out of that, I get to set other people free. So it's not, you know, there's this beauty of what Jesus did for me. I just am so overwhelmed. If I just think of it for just a second, but then to think that I can stand in this place where I get to carry the same anointing on my life to set others free. Now, see, that takes great responsibility for me to stand and say, I believe it and I will put everything I have into living it. And so, you know, as, you know, as we <laughs> look at the body that Jesus that Jesus broke for you. I want to tell you, if you don't have a heart for reverence while doing it, don't do it.
there is this great, great honor that we get to take hold of him, that he has given us his body, he has given us his blood to take and say, I am going to ingest this in me and I'm going to take on the healing that you bought for me. I'm going to take on the anointing that you said you would give me. I'm going to take on your name. And just, you know, I just can't be filled with just, I can't help but be filled with such humility. But humility means that I also believe. Out of humility that I say, God, you were enough. Jesus, you were enough. And so I believe you. I believe what you said about me. I believe what you said is mine. And we have this authority that we get then get to step into. And, you know, Jesus didn't just give us some good ideas. He said, no, this is what I say is yours. I, it's not even actually that, hey, it'd be a good idea if you take on my name and that you go heal people. He actually said, it's a requirement of you that you step into the authority that I've given you. And so, as we go into just thankfulness, you can be thankful with your belief. You get to be thankful with honoring Him with the way you believe. And so, I, I really do mean this. I have such a... Um, Taking communion is, it's a really big deal. And, you know, th things that we do in the natural, you know, that if you're not careful, you can just take them and be just irresponsible with it. And so I just want to, before we take it, I just want to read in 1 Corinthians real quick. 1 Corinthians 11.26, it says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. This responsibility is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. So eating the elements, it's a big deal. So I just want to say, just I want to give everybody just a second before we take it, that we really can examine our own heart with him and do it from a great, great heart. Because we get the we get the privilege of eating our Savior's body and drinking His blood.
And so, Holy Spirit, we just open ourselves before you. And I just say, search our heart if there's anything that we need to clear away before we eat of your body, Jesus. Cheryl's going to start passing it out. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You have no rival. You have no equal. Jesus, you are victorious. And because of your victory, we now stand in victory. We now stand in victory. <laughs> Jesus, we're so grateful. Let's everybody get your body. Jesus, we remember what you did. We remember it. The all-powerful Jesus, the one that rocked the world, the one that took the keys back from the enemy, the full victorious king of all kings, we remember you, Jesus, and we believe what you did for us, and we believe the authority that you have now given us. And so as we take the bread, we say, yes, Jesus. We take our authority and we take our position with you, and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Let's take the body. Oh, victorious Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Thank you for your victorious blood spilled for us, spilled. You held nothing back with loving us and loving the Father. We will hold nothing back from you and loving you. And giving you our yes every day, day after day, you have our yes, Jesus. So as we drink your blood, we remember you. And we say yes to you all over again, Jesus. Let's drink the blood. Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Let's just take 30 seconds and just begin to thank him from the depths of who you are for what he's done for you.
It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Hearts loving him. I love the plan of God. I love his plan. The enemy thought he was going to mess up the plan. Instead, he just birthed billions and billions of Jesuses running the earth. I love his plan. So just remember today, the blood of Jesus is circulating in your body it's pulsating in you, and you have great authority. But with great authority comes what? Great responsibility. Thank you, Spider-Man. Sure, it wasn't just him. What a glorious day. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay